0: My talk's called Grace Under Pressure. And I want to share with you a little bit about my journey over the past year and how God's been with me through it. As most of you know, this past year for us has been a tough one. My husband, Matt, has had serious kidney issues caused by a benign parathyroid tumour in his neck. Took me ages to learn how to say that. And he's endured pain from kidney stones and fatigue caused by the tumour And on top of that, we had major building work done on our house. And for most of the time over the past year, Matt hasn't been able to do very much, which has left me to manage our family of three kids and all the work on the house pretty much single-handedly. And I don't know about you, but I feel like we live in a culture that strives to keep it together. We've got to keep it together. And on Pinterest, people show their beautiful moments of their lovely lives. And on Instagram, again, it's just all the good stuff, all the, look at how I'm keeping my life together. And um, even when the going does get tough, and you go online, and you can find endless websites from life coaches or business consultants about how to stay composed and focused and effective. And with all this in mind, considering the crisis we were going through, I set the bar high. I was gonna keep it together, this crisis. We were gonna sail through it. But as time went on, I I could not keep that up. The ongoing pressure of day-to-day life and the restraints that Matt's illness put on him and on the family really wore me down. And being under that level of stress for such a long time, it wasn't really bringing out the best in me. It was painful to see Matt suffer but it was also drive me crazy that he couldn't do the simplest things like help put the kids to bed. And he was doing the best he could, but it was really hard to be kind and compassionate to him and his suffering. When I was so tired, But I had to keep going and he'd be sitting on the sofa and he couldn't get up off the sofa, but it still drove me crazy that he could sit down and I had to keep going. And there were moments when I felt bitterness and then I felt guilty because I felt bitter I'd feel frustrated. It wasn't fair. And I couldn't even get away from it because I couldn't leave the kids with him. He couldn't look after the kids. And I just felt trapped. So when life got too much, I knew you've always got a choice. I knew I had a choice. I could bury my feelings. I could press on. I could numb it all inside. I could get angry. I could put on a brave face. Everything's fine. We're all good. Or I could face it. I'm not very good at pretending. And I faced it with the help from two verses from Romans that I found in a book by Charles Spurgeon called All of Grace. And Romans 4, 5 says, However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. And Romans 5:6 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And the King James Bible says, For when we were yet without strength, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And these verses spoke straight into my situation. I felt without strength. I felt I couldn't work for God's approval. I was just too tired. I felt powerless to change my situation. And to be honest, I felt pretty ungodly too. I felt my reactions at times were far from godly. But the wonderful thing is that even though, and especially when I'm powerless and ungodly, That's when God justifies me. That's when God freely forgives me. That's when Christ died for me. When I acknowledge I can't earn his approval, I can't make myself good enough or put put any effort into it anymore, I can't clean myself up, that's when he saves me. And when I read these verses, the pressure to keep it all together lifted. And I felt released from feeling that I should be able to handle it. And I got great relief. So instead of running from God in my distress, because I felt ashamed that I was weak, I felt I couldn't attain the standard I'd set for myself, these verses allowed me to come to God quickly, just as I was, without having to make myself something I wasn't, without having to try harder, and I could be honest about how I was feeling and the thoughts that were going through my head. And God met me with instant forgiveness. And I learned how to be okay with not being okay. And many times at stressful stressful points in the day, usually at tea time because everyone's tired, I just close my eyes and I say, God, I can't do this. I just can't keep that cool in this moment. And I'd let him meet me and genuinely the pressure every time would lift and his love would be real to me and I could keep going. And I figured if it if God gives forgiveness so freely then surely God would give me everything else I needed too and all I had to do was learn to receive I could receive the perseverance I needed I could receive the patience I needed I could receive the self-control I could receive the wisdom the compassion whatever I needed in the moment I could receive and that was my constant state of being admitting my weakness receiving his grace But that was going on for a long time and this constant hanging on for dear life kind of receiving actually got really challenging. I prefer to be self-sufficient. I don't like feeling weak. I don't like admitting I have needs. I don't like feeling I'm at a disadvantage because I can't do something for myself. I like to feel strong and competent. And receiving means I had to admit I can't provide for myself in this circumstance. I found that kind of humiliating. It dents the pride. I think I have some pride issues. And it makes me feel uncomfortably vulnerable. Pride wasn't too difficult to deal with. That could be laid down. But the vulnerability requires trust that the person you expose your need to is going to take good care of your needs. And I think that kind of trust is a bit hard, especially hard for me, because I grew up with a difficult relationship with my dad. And some of that hurt from the past is actually still deeply buried inside and all this admitting my need to God exposed defenses deep down that I put up a long time ago because i felt like in my spirit i was saying god i need you i receive i just let you give to me but that clashed with this you know defensive mechanism i'm protecting myself god i need you i need to receive but i'm protecting myself and there was a conflict And I can't say it's all been resolved, but it's a deliberate choice to trust God. When my instincts go up and I go into fight or flight, and I can say, no, I can't trust God. God is love. God is patient. God is kind. God won't hurt me. And when I let God in and the tears come, I just go with it. And little by little, God heals me and it gets easier. So I found all this very challenging. And I want to end with a verse for us to reflect on. It's 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And it's, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I found this really challenging. Is his grace really sufficient for me? Is his grace really sufficient for you? And how do we feel? about his power being made perfect in our weakness. Are we okay with that? If, like me, there's room for trust in God, if, you're, if there's room for your trust in God to go a little deeper, we're going to have a time of reflection. And you can use this time to repent of self-reliance. You might feel you need to repent of some pride. You, need to, you may need to surrender some defenses if you've been hurt. And we can practice receiving his grace. His grace. So I'm just going to do a quick prayer, and then we'll have a minute of just practicing receiving now. Father God, I thank you. You're a God of compassion. And I ask you, Lord, you would enable us to trust you more. So Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you come now and enable us to experience your grace anew in Jesus' name.
1: Hi, everybody. Um, so today I've brought with me um, a picture, which my friend Val, she goes to a prophetic arts group. Um, and when I had this message that God's put on my heart and I wanted to share with you today, I um, asked her to, to pray about it and see if God gave her a picture. And uh, this is the picture that he's given her. And I just prayed that whilst I'm sharing this message with you today, that you will just, you'll get something from that. When I look at it, I get so many different things each and every time I look at it. So just, yeah, enjoy. So my first question to you is, what's in your hands? Okay. What gifts, abilities, hopes and dreams has God given you? Do you know what they are? Do you know what God's blessed you with? Well, Today I want us to look at the feeding of the 5,000, also known as the five loaves and two fish. Now, the Gospel of John talks about the life of Jesus. And one of the most famous miracles that Jesus did was the feeding of the 5,000, which is also, um, I mean, the the number 5,000, sorry, was just the men. So probably would have been more like 15, 20,000 to include the women and children, which makes what happened even more amazing. So Jesus had been preaching all day long and crowds gathered to hear him speak. Now the disciples wanted to send them away at lunchtime to get something to eat, but Jesus had a better idea. You give them something to eat, he challenged the disciples. In John 6:9 it tells us that there was a boy who had five loaves and two fish for his lunch. He came to Jesus with what he had in faith and uh, Jesus broke the bread he gave thanks and gave it to the crowds. So by the boy giving what he had Jesus fed everybody. But he didn't just meet the needs of the 5000 well of the crowd. He just lavished them with so much that there was 12 baskets left over. So Jesus took something that seemed small and mundane and turned it into something incredible. And you know what? He can do the same in our lives. God will shatter the pint-sized expectations of what we, his followers, can do if we could just learn to trust and bring him what we've already been given. It's like uh, Tesco says, every little helps. (laughs) So when we're willing to offer what we have sacrificially, giving up our hold on what God's God's blessed us with, and that's maybe in terms of time, money, gifts, talents even, God will use the ordinary to create the extraordinary. We must never believe that what we have in our hands, like the little boy in the passage, is too little to serve God. So a little bit about me. Um, So about 15 years ago, I was one of the uh, youth leaders at a church in Lincoln. Now, for one reason or another, I ended up getting pushed out Um, And that really hurt me. I felt completely useless. And like the boy in the passage, what I had in my hand didn't seem like much. There was hurt, there was confusion, and a real frustrated desire to tell kids about Jesus. What could God do with me if the church didn't want me? Well, I'm pleased to say that a few years later, I've moved to a different church, And I saw that there was a need for kids' work. There was currently nothing. I thought something needs to be done about this. So I went to the minister and said I wanted to help. So he told me to go away, to pray about it, get a team together and see see what God said. So I offered what I had in my hands to God. So that included my gifts, my hopes, even my hurts and my doubts, and ask, can you use them, God? And if we ask that, you know what? He will always say yes. A year on, we have kids' church on a Sunday morning. We've called the group TIGER, which stands for Together in God Always. And it's great because God is changing lives. Even though I worried about getting hurt again, I took a step of faith, gave God what I had in my hands, and he started something new, and it's really exciting. One Corinthians: 127 says, "But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong." God delights in taking a humble, seemingly insignificant person and using them for His glory. And God delights in taking a humble seemingly insignificant things in our hands just like the five loaves and the two fish and using them for his glory so let me encourage you today whatever's in your hands whether it's talents hopes or dreams please don't doubt give it to god and you know what see what he does is amazing thank you
2: yes i'm rachel rachel jones my husband and I moved to York uh, in August of last year, so we've been in York and part of G2 for almost a year now, and uh, I'd really like to thank you guys, actually, because we felt really welcomed, really completely welcomed by you guys, so thank you very much for that. Um, so, yeah, I'm an English teacher, which means that I have the absolute privilege of spending all day with teenagers. Uh, Yes, it can be a challenge too, but we have some beautiful examples of fantastic teenagers here with us today. So we all know, including you guys probably, that teenage can be a challenging time, it can be quite fraught, um, and actually the other day I was with some friends reliving uh, my teenage years, and you can imagine you've probably all done the same, when you think back to... Things that you used to wear, um, cringe at things that you used to think were cool. So I had a collection, I'm looking for anyone my age, a collection of stripy tights. Anyone know? Yes, April, thank you, thank you. So we've probably probably all got that in common, looking back to teenage years and cringing at things like that. I have to say, though, you guys, I think you'll be all right. Very stylish, very stylish. So I'm impressed and a little bit jealous, actually, because there are some pictures of me out there that I wish weren't, Uh, but you'll be fine. So unquestionably for me, the most significant thing that happened in my teenage years was that I became a Christian. I became a Christian when I was 18 and uh, I'd been in church always, uh, but it was never real for me. It wasn't something that I accepted for myself. So when I found myself at 18, having lived my own way, really hurting, really quite broken and really ashamed, it was incredible for me on that day, I remember it vividly for me I know it's not for everybody for me it was like a a light bulb moment when I realized what it was that Jesus had done for me and I really understood it and in that moment when I accepted it I accepted the sacrifice that he'd made for me it was amazing that it was I did experience that freedom that he won for me on the cross and it was incredible really amazing I'll always remember it However, quite soon afterwards, somewhere along the way, I did fall back into like an old way of thinking about myself, really, and very quickly I found myself being weighed down again by guilt um, and by shame, actually, Uh, not just for the sin that was in my past before I'd given my life over to Jesus, but for the sin that was still in my life as I was following Jesus, I still just really struggled with the guilt of that. Um, And it really was actually like a dark cloud hanging over me or like chains. In the Bible, it's often described as chains or a type of slavery. And it really did feel like that for me. Um, And actually, it completely robbed me of any joy, that joy that I'd experienced when I'd given my life to Jesus. So, um, yeah, I was basically falling back into the same slavery that he'd redeemed me out of. And um, in fact, somebody who I knew well, who was not a Christian, um, observed this about about me once, and remarked, um, "No one does guilt like Christians," and that really stayed with me. It's always stayed with me. And in that moment, it was like a flag going up in in my mind that something was wrong with the way that I understood the gospel and the way that I saw myself, because um, apparently it didn't look much like good news for people on the outside looking in. So. Maybe this is something that you can recognize in your own life, your own way of thinking, possibly. Uh, To some degree, it might not be for you guilt. It might be something else. But I think that lies can sometimes creep into, without us even realizing, the way that we think about ourselves and the way that we understand the gospel. Um, Because even if we here today know that we are saved by grace, even if we know that what Jesus did was enough to make us right with God, we can still sometimes fall into the trap of thinking that we need to work hard to make ourselves good enough, to feel that we deserve, possibly, what he did for us. Or sometimes we feel that we have to transform ourselves in our own strength, by our own willpower, I will not touch those chocolate biscuits. Or sometimes it can cause us, tragically, to pull away from God, and to not allow ourselves close to him because of the shame how we feel. Well, Paul would encourage us, not Paul, but Paul, you know Paul, um, would encourage us as he did the Galatians, I'm sure Paul would as well actually, <laughs> Paul. Uh, he encouraged the Galatians not to return to their old ways of thinking, but instead to rely completely on what Jesus did for us. So you're, you might know this verse uh, that Paul writes in Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So when I read this, I realize that I need to hear the gospel today. And by that, I mean the message of what Christ did for me. I need to hear it today as much as I needed to hear it on that day that I was saved. I realize that I need to hear it. I need to accept it. I need to allow it to set me free every day day and I believe that we as Christians need to keep coming back and back and back and back to the gospel on a daily basis. I think that we sometimes have the misconception that hearing the gospel is for people who aren't saved yet but I just really believe that for me anyway. I need to hear it every day. We need to remind ourselves that we don't rely on our own goodness. We rely on his that we don't need to hide away from God the Father because now We are in Christ, and we are children of God. That when he looks at us, he sees Christ. Because this knowledge changes everything. It changes us, and actually it's the source of our joy as well. And I think it's also worth pointing out that it's not just this issue of guilt. Perhaps it's not something that you've struggled with, but if you think about anxiety, the things that we're anxious about when we put them in the context of the cross and what Jesus did for us, kind of disappear, we realize we have nothing to fear. And the disappointments that we experience through life, they are overshadowed by the lavish, generous gift that we are given because of the cross. And my husband and I were discussing this morning that actually this can happen, it's a tendency for this to happen as well, when things are really good. Um, You know, I've done really well recently. I've got a promotion, I'm I'm doing great. Tendency can be to take our eyes off what Jesus did for us and instead look at what we're doing and feeling proud of ourselves. So, to close, Christian asked us recently what is the church that we see? What is our ambition, our hope for church here as G2? And um, for me, the thing that's heaviest in my heart is that I see a church of people who come together on a Sunday and in our meetings. And in our worship, we fix our eyes on Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. That we dwell on it, that we celebrate it together, that we are transformed by it and that we carry it out with us, that really simple truth to the people that we see on a day-to-day basis. So I just want to leave you with a verse from 2 Corinthians. We all, all here, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit.